1: All righty. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sorry, Delamont with you, the attorney whisperer. And I'm also joined today by three women that I totally love and admire and are fangirling a little bit about. Um, we are here with Coach Cidia Gutierrez, who is a coach in the H2H um, world. We're also here with Coach Jody, a coach in H2H world, and with Sarah. Williams, who we hope will eventually become a coach in the H2H world, we're, we're planning on poaching her. So just to give you a little bit of a background of how the three of us or four of us got together today, uh, we have something every week in the H2H crew. And if you're not in the crew, go to from and either sign up if this is, if it's open during this time or get on the wait list. And uh, Jody will post in there every Friday or Saturday, sometime around the weekend. Uh, reflect and celebrate post, and so she posted something, and it got a discussion going about the idea of what freedom really is. And then we all got excited about it and thought we needed a po- podcast about it, and so here. We are so. I'm gonna. I'm gonna welcome all of you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. And um, Jody, why don't you tell me? You said in the video, you said there's something that Sarah Williams said, and that really struck you. So where did you hear that quote? And and um, what was it in reference to?
2: Well, I'm kind of a fangirl for Sarah Williams. So she puts out her own videos and content to help encourage trial attorneys, especially women trial attorneys, um, on our career trajectory and so one of the posts she had made and I honestly don't remember exactly which one. um, She said freedom is understanding that you cannot control how other people perceive you. And that particular week I was doing my reflection and I had a hard week. Uh, It had hard time in court and it it had to do with sort of how I was being perceived, which um, in the moment. I sort of spiraled, like, how do they not see my intentions? How do they not see how I'm showing up? How do they not see my um, integrity? And it, this quote helped re, um, reframe how I was looking at it, which is I was trying to control what other people were seeing in me instead of standing in my own power and controlling what I was projecting out. And so it was just something that was a touchstone for me, among other things, to kind of get through that particular um, difficulty at the time.
1: Yeah, Sarah, do you remember that video? I'm not sure if I saw it. I, 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 I do. The other day, it, I got one of the top badges. It was like, you are a top Sarah Williams fan. And I'm like, do you want to accept your badge? I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I want my Sarah Williams badge. Um, so I'm sure I saw it. If not, I'm like so embarrassed that I didn't. But do you remember that video? And what, what we were So it wasn't about?
3: a video. It was a post about emails and the tone, and the tone of emails. And yes. it was the one that mm-hmm. was... Like, I wish I had, I could get back all the time I've spent uh, reviewing emails because I was worried about the tone and someone complaining about the tone. And and I've realized now, like, I can't control how you're going to perceive me, right? You're going to perceive my tone the way you're going to perceive it. And for me, it was, I was cleaning out my inbox and I spent three years managing the firm. And I had so many drafts of emails that I had revised <laughs> and sent to people, and you know, asked, you know, you know, do you think this is going to make anyone upset? Because when I started managing the firm, like I am very direct, and you know, if it's a procedural issue, then I'm just going to outline what the procedure is. And it was during a time where we were we really were growing. Um, And so I was implementing a lot of new procedures and I would always get these complaints about the tone of my emails. Um, And so it's just like, when I read them, I was like, you know, I don't do it anymore, but it made me go back to that space where I was just so concerned about how someone would perceive and read the tone of an email. Um, So that's where it came from.
1: Well, and I I, I want to just pause here and ask the women here, do we think this is something that men slave over when creating a email, for example?
0: I'm going to jump in and say, no, I, I don't think it's something <laughs> that our male colleagues um, deal with as much. Um, every now and then, like my partner, Matt, will ask me to look at something, but it's like literally maybe once every two or three years that he's writing something very professional and just wants another set of eyes. It's never been for down.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think that men absolutely do have concerns about how they're perceived, but it shows up in a very different way. Sorry, Sarah, you were going to say something.
3: Yeah, I think that the issue is our society is not comfortable with strong women. Mm -hmm. And And I just think full stop. And so what I have had to learn is that's not my problem. You know, I know what my intentions are. I know where, like Jody said, like I know my integrity. I know that, you know, I took a you know, pay cut to take on that job to help grow our firm and make it safe and make it a better place, right? I know that what I was doing was the right thing. And so this idea that, you know, we, we take on so much stress related to how worrying about how others will perceive us because we think we can control it. And the reality mm-hmm. is when I look at those, when I looked at those emails, they were so vanilla. And, and so the fact is like people decided how to perceive that email as soon as they read it, there was nothing I could have done
1: to That's have exactly control
3: right. their perception, right?
1: Well, and it's just like what we talk about in in jury persuasion or or all the things. It's people are not perceiving us based on on us. It's on on what where they're coming from and the lens that they're viewing things through, and that we absolutely have no control over. Which which I thought was so interesting because um, Sarah, then in that Facebook post, you said, "I wonder if there's something inherent in what we do as trial attorneys that cause us to struggle more in this." this area than, than maybe some other people. So who wants to, to take that up? Why do you think trial attorneys struggle with this more? Um, and why do you think that is?
2: I, I know that I hopped in on that uh, conversation because I uh, feel like as trial attorneys, unlike maybe a lot of other professions, we're actually graded, if you will, on our win-loss ratio, right? We, we go into a case And we have an outcome in mind and it's to win, whether that's settlement or judgment, but it's to make our clients be in a better position than they were in before. And, you know, I, I know that I'll like have this conversation with my husband or my kids, like, no, at the end of the day, I'm actually branded as a winner or a loser. Right. And I got those messages very early on in my career and I, I don't, I don't think I realized. until I started doing a lot more self-reflection and mindset work, particularly through H2H, that those were, I was carrying those sort of as baggage. Like I was letting the outcome or the message of sort of you are a winner or you are a loser, depending on how the outcome of a case or a motion or a hearing or a deposition went. Um, And and so I do think that we, um, we worry as trial attorneys what other people think of us because we want juries to like us. We want them to feel because of that um, relationship with us that they're gonna go in our favor. We want the judge to like us, right? We, so, so we want a witness maybe to be comfortable enough to give us honest testimony because we're coming across with integrity in the deposition. Um, so I, I do think that that impacts wanting to be um, liked because we believe, again, that that's gonna give us more control over the outcome.
1: Well, and I, I would like right. to to position that, or that's not the right word, but I would like to put, it, put in there, I don't think we actually care if the jury likes us. What we really want is to win so that our colleagues will like us, so that we will like us, right? Because the win represents this feeling we think we're going to have, right? We're never going to see the jurors again. So, maybe in the moment we want them to like us, but I think the bigger like is if I win this thing, or if I, more importantly, if I lose this thing, then my people won't
3: like me, including myself. That's right. I think that we, from the moment you start practicing, even really, I see it with my students in law school, we tie our self worth into our outcomes, our case outcomes. And there's so much about, our cases that we cannot control but because you know our our culture especially with litigation is based upon well how many cases have you won how many cases have you tried you know what's your largest verdict I had you know Alex told me a couple weeks ago that I needed another eight figure verdict and I was like but who says who says right. that I need another like I have wow. one some lawyers go their entire careers without an eight figure verdict. Right. And so Mm -hmm. two years ago, I would have freaked out about it and started like trying to figure out, you know, how to somehow manufacture that. I said, man, I don't, (laughs) if I, if I never get another one, like I'm happy with the result that I got from my clients. If that had not been an eight figure verdict, I did the best that I could with that case. And I think it is, I think we, as a, as a, legal society have to take ownership of that culture, which I think is really harmful. And and I think that that is what is resulting in higher rates of depression and anxiety is because we we tie our self-worth to something that we really don't have control over.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I want to come back to that. But let me get um, Cydia's voice in, in the mix here. Cydia, you were saying that the media also plays into that. Yeah,
0: I I think that the way that you end up coming into law school, if you don't necessarily know a lawyer, you are going against these archetypes from the media from, you know, this is what a lawyer does and you're, you know, better call Saul if you're dealing with the PI order. white attorney. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so you're dealing with all of these issues. And so on top of the fact that you don't know what it is to be a lawyer, you're trying to fit into this archetype. And then you're a PI attorney who has to deal with the garbage of being called, you know, an ambulance chaser and dealing with all these things, which we talk about a lot in H2H, with you know, we're on the side of the right, but we don't feel that as we're practicing because everybody's always, you know, telling another lawyer joke wherever you go.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Societally, you guys are at the bottom of the barrel in terms of lawyers. <laughs> You're right. We don't like lawyers and mm-hmm. there oh my gosh, plaintiff attorneys on top of that or a personal injury. No way. So, so this brings, brings um, up the, the, what we were talking about before we started recording, which is there's some messages that so that many of you, I think all attorneys male or female have heard and Carried with them, which then is is either created by this culture or or lends itself to the culture adds to it. What are some of the messages that y'all heard even before you went to law school or once you're in law school or once you started practicing that you think are harmful that we need to get rid of.
0: That's such I, a great question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when I, what I'm thinking of is when I was a law clerk, um, if there was somebody who had just like more typos, right? And we are living in a very busy society, especially as plaintiffs' attorneys, there's so much work that you're doing. But if you even had just one little typo as a law clerk, like I was told, you know what, we're not necessarily gonna pay as much attention to that brief because there's like three T's in attorney, for example. And so there's this, idea that you have to be perfect because everybody is judging you on that perfection
1: yes that's a good one what else
0: for me I know I I
2: remember very early on in my career I was actually applying for a job and in a very well respected firm and when I was being interviewed the interviewer said you know if you work here losing is not an option and I remember it just being it had a profound effect on me. I was probably a two or three lawyer, two or three year lawyer at the time, and I actually thought, well, that's what good lawyers look like. Good lawyers don't lose. You don't lose a motion. You don't lose a motion for summary judgment. You you score all your points in deposition, and if you go to trial, you absolutely win. Losing is not an option. And for me, I know that that was uh, kind of a voice in my head that led to a lot of overwork. It just led to a like, leave no stone unturned. And while that can be a superhero and it has served me well to be detail oriented, there was sort of a, it was produced by anxiety and fear and not by a sense of when I do this, I feel the most prepared or when I do this, I feel the most confident. And there's a really big difference there.
3: Well, and, or- and yeah, go ahead. Okay. For me, I think the message was more, winning in this in this world allows you to fit in right mm-hmm. so as a you know black female lawyer practicing in Alabama I attended the you know whitest private law school in the country when I started on trial team and started doing trial competitions and it was like oh she can win this thing or she's this that was like oh I, I'm I'm in I'm in the club mm-hmm. right and so mm-hmm. for me it's like the there's a constant sense of in order to stay in the club, I have to continue to hustle harder and try harder and win more. Um, and, and so it's not, for me, it wasn't an explicit message. It's been more um, implicit. Well, and it's what we reward, right?
1: I mean, those are the people that get on the, on the speaking circuit. So those are the people that do, you know, all the things. Is, is, is what I'm hearing too, is that the big message is I've got to prove my worth. Right. So I've got to prove that I'm worthy enough to be up here with all these white men. I've got to prove that I'm worthy by winning. That's the big one, right? Is that winning is the ultimate. Why do you think it's not about winning or have you gotten to that place where, where you recognize it's not about bait figure win or winning it in, in all in general?
2: Okay, well, that's right, that's a really hard thing to talk about, right? So I, I would say I would frame it differently. I would say, has my um, definition of winning changed, right? Has mm. my definition of success changed? Has the metrics by which I judge my worth changed? And I would say yes, right? And that and that because that has changed, I'm actually showing up in a way that's letting me have more successes. Right, because I kind of got out of my own head and got out of my own way. So for me, the, re- the reframe or the redesign was, I'm controlling the way I show up. You know, I'm controlling, when I do these things, I know that I'm standing in my power, I'm acting with integrity, I'm armed with the law and the facts, I'm bonded with and connected to my client, I've empowered my trial team, right, and so When I do that, I can be in the moment and releasing the outcome. Of course, I hope for a win, right? I want to win. I want to advocate for my client, um, but I don't need, that's the difference. Mm. I don't need to win um, to come out the other side and still be proud of the work that I did.
1: Yeah, who else?
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that I still struggle. One, I'm highly competitive. (laughs) Um, so I still struggle with losing, and I think that's just part of it is just the nature of being competitive. But I do think that—that's right. I do think that I have reframed what is a win, and I have not. So I I don't feel as bad. You know, someone may say, "Well, you should have just tried that case because you need the trial." Well, it's not about me; it's about getting the best result for my clients and ensuring that that result has the least amount of risk for them. Because I have plenty of cases, right? They have one case. And I think that it has made me, uh, taking myself and what I need to feed myself worth, taking that out of the equation has allowed me to be more objective about evaluating a case, a case's value and and advising my client on the best options for them.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you say that both of you, because I, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, sorry's the gal that tells you, you shouldn't want to win, which is for, not the truth. I love winning too. And what we're, we're doing, everything we possibly can to help you win, especially in the H community. But I think uh, Jody put it best is it's about releasing the need to win and divorcing your sense of self from the win, right? And not making it about that because going back to our, our, what we started this, this talk about is this idea that I have to control how people perceive me. And this, this, this idea of control has come up quite a bit in, in this conversation, but let's actually talk about it now. Where do you think this comes from and how do we, get, we start to release it? This idea that we, need, we must control, whether that's what the jury does, what other people do, how they think about us all the things
2: dead, dead silence
1: um, I've, I've, I've stumped the group
2: control control oh yeah um, I feel like I'm sitting in, in therapy so control for me <laughs> like rears its head in the face of uncertainty right so it's like I'm trying to deal with this uncertainty and the uncertainty the fear of the unknown produces the the fear or the anxiety or the worry and so i think if i just have the magic formula if i just say a plus b i'm going to get c and again i think that's sort of conditioning right like as, as kids you do your homework you get the a you get a good grade you go to the right school you get the good job i mean it's just sort of there's conditioning but if you do the right things you will produce good outcomes and i'm a little older now and i've done a lot of good things and i've had a lot of bad things still happen right so it it took um it's almost like a loss of innocence maybe it was kind of a naive way of thinking if you do the right things you always get the right outcome to say you know bad things can still happen to good people or the outcomes can happen even if you do your best you know the less than hoped for outcome so that may sound um, kind of like a, a downer, but actually that's where the surrender like brought me a lot more peace. So you well, don't I have this... Yeah.
1: Sorry to interrupt. Zoom is weird, okay. but I, I think this is an interesting point though, because I'm not sure. and I, I don't want to speak for Cydia or, um, or Sarah, but I think as white women, we do get that formula. we like, if you just do these things, then you'll get this result where I think people of color are like, that's the baseline, right? You've got to be good, like out the gate, right? It just like, that's the baseline. And then beyond that, you need to be exceptional, right? I think for white people, it's, well, if I just, you know, apply myself, then I'll get all the things. For people of color, it's, well, that's the baseline and you have to be exceptional beyond that am i right or wrong about that who wants to speak to
0: that Oh, no, you're In- absolutely right on that i mean there's There's the pressure to, you know, for being first, then there's a pressure to bring other people along and somehow you represent an entire culture. Like I'm one person who speaks Spanish. Okay. There are over 20 (laughs) countries that speak Spanish. I do not actually represent all of them, but you get that, that additional pressure. And I think one of the things that Jody was touching on is this, this false idea that you can get it right. If you research Mm. enough, you're going to find that one case from 1932, that Decided on this exact issue. And damn it, if you just research more, you're gonna find that. But it's it's this false narrative of you can get it right it's like, even if you do, well, the judge might interpret it differently. And so I think Mm -hmm. it's something that we get very early on, even in law school, like there is a right answer. Yeah, you can kind of interpret the holding of a case. But really, this is what we're looking for. And so you're constantly trying to chase this, you know, I can be right and do all the things to be right and perfect. So I think they're all intertwined and multiplied when you're a person of color.
3: I think you're right. I I will say that I am, I think that is a generational curse and I am hell bent on breaking it with my child, because what I have seen, it's interesting how you, you don't recognize things in yourself, but like with my students, I just see the level of stress and anxiety that it just overlays on the already, you know, immense stress and anxiety that law school, um, you know, you experience when you're in law school. And so I, I really, my goal is to raise my child to be free. And I think this idea, part of it is a mindset shift. I think that we are at a place where I am going to be who I am and I am not going to concern myself with the white gaze about who I am. And I, and and to to be free of that pressure And to say, like, I will be fine. And I think if more people of color said, look, we'll be fine. We don't need your table. And women, too. We don't need your table. If we would let go of this desire to be accepted at this table, we would realize, right, we really have the power to build our own. We really have the power to get our own clients and and do our own thing. And we are amazing and powerful advocates in our own right, doing it the way that is innate to us and natural to us. Um, and, and so, but I do think that that is a mindset shift that takes work because we were raised by people who are children of the um, civil rights movement and for whom, you know, ensuring that you controlled your emotions and that you controlled how you responded to something was a means of survival. Right. And, and that was passed down to us. And we have to somehow break that that um, mm. pattern because that no, the, the same rules while we're still we still have a ways to go. I think that that we underestimate how much power we have.
1: Yeah. And what I'm hearing there besides fuck that table, which yeah, fuck that table. We're going to build our own table. (laughs) Is that for so long, I think women and people of color, same boat, we've tried to play by the rules. And what I hear you saying is that we need to make our own rules and will there be fallout from that? Yes. And some groups, women and minorities particularly will feel that much more, but we got to go first. That's why I keep telling women, I'm like, you know, stop playing into the, you know, never, the whole red suit, never wear a red suit at trial. Where the fuck would you want to wear at trial, right? right. Like stop, you know, that's not the red suit is the problem. It's, 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 somebody's got to go first. And like, it's right. not about how do we create this message in a way, coming back full circle in a way so people can like receive it in, in the most unoffensive way possible. It's how can I speak my truth and get people used to that?
3: And can I, I will say this, I, you know, I try cases in one of the most conservative states in the country. And I I used to stress so much about my hair. And so like, and I can't do hair because, you know, it's not my ministry. But so I'm always, (laughs) I always have braids. And, but before trial, I would take my braids out and I would get my hair straightened because I was so worried about how I would be perceived. And I got to the point where I realized like, I didn't have time once to, to take my braids out. And so I had to try a case in a conservative venue with my braids and I was so stressed about it. And this jury loved me. And this is a town where we, we say they have the uh, don't get caught if you're black after dark rule, right? Mm. Jury loved me, asked for my cards afterwards. And, and what it made me realize is when you show up as yourself, people respond to that.
1: That's right. And so
3: that was the freeing moment for me where I realized like, I don't have to be anything else. I don't have to pretend to be someone else. I don't have to put on a costume, right? All people will respond. They may not invite me to dinner or church, but <laughs> but I don't need them to, right? What I need them to do is hear the message and hear my advocacy and hear my client's story and as long and and i think that that comes through more when you are being yourself but we just have been so stuck in i have to put on this show you know because i think this is what people want that that may be what law firm partners want but the people who are sitting in our in, in the jury boxes want you however you came right. into this world That's, that's so right. I I, I think that we get
1: caught up in this because we're like, well, that's fine and all, you know, Sarah, you've got your own videos and things you're posting and people can, you know, either listen to that or not listen to it, but we're talking about a jury here and I've got to convince that jury right of, of, of my case and that's why i've got to play the game and i think that's what's so different about h2h is we're like you really don't because once you go into that now you're making the case about you and how you're looking and what you're doing instead of actually focusing the jury on what matters which is what your case is about and being the voice for that case and showing up authentically yes
3: and they can sniff a fake right that's right (laughs) like they know when you're faking. I, I tried a case with these lawyers when I was still on the dark side and they faked the Southern accent.
2: Oh
1: my goodness.
3: No. I know. I was like, what is going on here? And, but then they got caught in the hallway. You know, it's <laughs> just, uh-huh. you know, and so a jury in a case they should have won, um, just could never believe them and told them, I, I, I didn't trust you. If I can't trust you to speak to me authentically and use your own voice, then how can I trust what you're saying to me? Yeah.
1: yeah, so I was, I'm looking back at this at this quote that says freedom is understanding that you can't control how people perceive you. Do you think that it's actually understanding that? Because I think most people do understand Ultimately, that you cannot control how people perceive you. Do you think it's an understanding issue, or do you think it's more of a like use a word that that Jody brought up a surrendering to a truth issue? Where do you think that that lies?
0: I think it's more of an acceptance issue. Because yeah. when when I had my paradigm shift of realizing lawyering is a skill set, not an identity, those wins and losses, they just didn't impact me the same way, because it wasn't about my self worth, it was me accepting, you know, what, I've spent a lot of time and money learning how to be a lawyer and how to do that. And that's a skill that I can still use and transfer to many different things. And so, you know, it's more of, yeah, let me accept the fact that I'm this, this is a skill I possess, but it doesn't, tell you the whole story of who I am. And if, if you like me, great. If you don't like me, eh, whatever, that's fine. There are plenty of people who are not going to like me. I'm not going to be one of them.
1: Yeah. Love it.
0: Go ahead.
2: I was, I was going to say, I, I love the interplay between the freedom and the acceptance of the surrender, right? Because what's coming up for me is what's so beautiful about what When I'm trying to think about how is this message going to be received? That's the part that's out of my control because I don't know that life experience, I don't know the audience, I don't know the motives, I don't know the intentions. But the freedom comes when I say, well, how do I wanna be in this situation? That's the part Mm -hmm. where there's the surrender or the acceptance or less fear and anxiety because it's like, well, great, I'm in charge of that. So I want to show up in this way and this encounter, you know, and so that, that there is a, pl- a playfulness, if you will, between the freedom and the surrender, or the freedom and the acceptance, because I, I see when I'm thinking about, what other person is thinking of me. I feel struggle, like I feel mm-hmm. an energy of struggle, like I'm really struggling mm-hmm. to get my message across. I'm really struggling to be seen. I'm really struggling to make sure that people are um, following me because they, they can get behind me and my and my purpose or something like that. But there's some struggle there. And when we think instead, how am I showing up? What am I in control of? And how am I showing up and surrendering the rest of it? Um, there's no struggle. Like that, mm. that's the freedom. So anyway, that. that's the interplay for
3: me. Being in ease, yeah. So I will say, I don't know that all people understand that they can't control the perception because I think so many of us are socialized to feel like we can control the perception. I mean, think about it as young girls, right? If you dress this way, if you mm. speak this way, if you, you know, for black women, if you wear your hair straight, that appears more corporate, right? If you sound this way, if you get passionate, people may think you're an angry black woman. And so you think you, you, it's me that controls the perception because those are the messages that you receive. And that was one of the reasons why it was so important for me. Um, when I stepped down from managing, I feel like we who who have broken that cycle and who have broken through have to be more visible and tackle these issues because I think that that releases people and gives them permission. I had a, um, a first year law student walked up to me after doing a presentation at the law school and she said, I just, I need to know, can I try a case, can I do this competition with my puff. And I almost cried because I thought about all the times where I've made my daughter straighten her hair for mm-hmm. events and I was like, let me tell you something, if someone says something about your puff right your Afro puff you come and talk to me about it, but you try mm-hmm. the case with your puff nice. and. Um, she was on, Malone was on campus the other day and this girl walked by and she was practicing for a competition. And she had a puff and Malone said, oh, you can be a lawyer and wear an Afro puff. And I thought, okay, this is how we get past the perception, you know, understanding that like I can be who I am. Um, mm-hmm. It's the visibility. And so I do think that there are people who who think that they can control that perception, but I think it's because of socialization.
1: I think that's a great, great point, because I I think there is this message out there like uh, you can't control other people. But I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's kind of subtle, too. It's like we don't recognize we've been conditioned to right, like when we lose immediately. We're like, well, what could I have done differently? It reminds me a lot of defensive attribution we talk about in, in, in PI cases or, or in civil plaintiff cases where it's like the jury starts to do that. They're like, well, I wouldn't have done that. Well, I wouldn't have made that decision because we want to keep ourselves safe. So it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, well, there's gotta be something that I could have controlled here so that this outcome didn't happen, right? When I talk about getting the figure verdict, by the, for example, I said, you don't want the a figure verdict. That's, that's the biggest, the biggest lie out there. You want what you think you're going to feel when you have the eight figure very vir- good. It's the same thing of when we worry about things, you're not actually scared of the thing happening. It's that if that thing happens, I'm going to feel a certain way. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to handle that. It's all about feelings and not wanting to feel or wanting to feel a certain thing. So I think you're right. I think there is this, this, this so societal pressure and messages that we've gotten that say you could have fixed this, you could have avoided this, this outcome. And then we're all being so careful to make sure that we follow that right path. And it's not defined and it drives us all crazy. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) How can we let go? How can we let go? That's what we want to end with today. How can we let go of this pressure to try and control and get into the freedom space. I wanna hear from each of you as we close out the podcast. What's your best tip for for anyone listening? How do I let go of wanting to control everything and how people perceive me specifically?
0: What's bubbling up for me is integration. You just need to show up as your full self and really not having like, oh, there's lawyer Cydia who shows up and then there's fun Cydia who shows up over here. No, just show up all at once. And I think that that's made a big difference for me, just feeling uh, that own self-acceptance, that own self-worth and yeah, full full integration of the self. That would be my recommendation.
1: Love that for sure. Yeah, cause we do tend to compartmentalize in the lawyering world. Jody i um
2: i use a lot of affirmations and journaling and prompts and self-talk and but one one thing that kind of came out today that i that i work on actively is it's not about me so like when mm. a situation is triggering or something is happening um i can take a step back and say okay this is not about me and some maybe sometimes it is but at least i'm bringing some awareness to the situation Like. Why is the situation so explosive? Why is the situation so emotional? What's being triggered here? Um, And just getting really curious about it. And then if it's really about, well, that person is bent out of shape about something and I'm not controlling that reaction, kind of reassuring myself that it's not about me.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it takes work. And I think that as lawyers, we need to talk more about therapy and mindset work. And, it, you know, lawyering is more than just understanding how to ask a question and how to structure your, your cross-examination or how to structure your opening statement. It really, um, I think to be more effective, you have to get in touch with who you really are and also get a get control over your mindset. And I think that's what I love so much about H2H because we have to talk about these things. And I think as an industry, we have to, if we're going to change the culture, we have to challenge ourselves to um, break free of that old school path and and really do the deep work that will make us better advocates for our clients when we do it.
1: Rick Friedman says trial work is personal work, right? <laughs> it's just it yep. it forces you to look at your shit. And so, thank you, ladies, for being here and talking about this very important topic. If you want to see more of Coach Jody and Coach Cydia, then you need to join the crew because they're in there and awesome. And Sarah is also in there as H2H crew member. But Sarah, where can these people watch these videos or do the things that we've been talking about? Where, where can they get a hold of you?
3: So they can follow me on Instagram. It is Sarah with no H Williams, ESQ or Facebook, Sarah Williams um, on Facebook and YouTube as well. And you have your own website as well. Yes, I do.
1: SarahWilliamsESQ.com. You definitely want to follow this lady. She's awesome sauce. Okay. Well, thank you for being here. And I hope that was helpful to our listeners. Talk soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just wanna let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime,